0: you you're a teacher and a leader Marcy now prove it shoot it
1: they're living animals
0: so shoot Max then go ahead
1: I know who I am I am a teacher and a leader you just never let me be that I don't think she should stay with us anymore we can't ignore the fact that her behavior is insane I'm her only family
2: we have to leave we all have to leave what happened I don't know Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that thinks it's vodka Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my teacher
1: and leader, Joe Reed. I'm a teacher. I'm a leader. I'm a, a facilitator. Does I'm a, a.
2: I always think that she's, she's a thinker, but like, isn't that a line from something else?
1: It might be. I wonder if that's if that quote is in the uh, in the IMDb quotes. Um, let me look that up real quick. Uh, she certainly does. Uh, you know, I'm a teacher and a leader. You just never let me be that, but now I am. A teacher line. and a leader. I mean, that feels like I mean, I like that line because for a lot of reasons. But it also feels like you know cult vocab. You know how like you, you the the telltale sign for a cult is there. They use very specific <laughs> words for things. They have you know that's who was I talking to about this recently? I think I was just talking to my sister about one of the Nexium docs or whatever. And it's just like one of yeah, the
2: fifteen Nexium docs,
1: right? And it's just like. It's that thing of like how do you know you're in a cult without having realized that you're in a cult and it's just like yeah you you use like very specific vocab words for things that that you know for very simple things whatever I don't know where everybody uses the same verbiage um but anyway. uh, if
2: you've ever worked in retail, it's very similar. Like when I was watching The Vow, I was uh-huh. like, this is a lot like, you know,
1: it's fifteen pieces of flair development skill
2: like it's that. It's 15 pieces take. of flair.
1: It's it's like <laughs> sashes, right? Like that's that's basically it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't life, think I would fall into this. Life cult. is a cult. Okay, First I of always
2: all, there's no gay people in this cult.
1: This is the thing. I always say, I always worry. My thing about Goop is that I watch Goop and I'm like, oh, I'm much more susceptible to cults than I thought I would be. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's not this. It's not the, the Martha Marcy May Marlene cult, which, um, doesn't seem to offer me anything. <laughs> it offers <laughs> manual labor and no creature comforts and no television, seemingly. And, Like group sleeping dynamics. It's just like no sexual autonomy. There's nothing.
2: Orgies are like that. Doesn't seem
1: nice. There's nothing where I watch this and I'm like, that's how they'd get me. Like maybe Brady Corbet, but like even that, like not really. I don't
2: know. Okay, we're gonna be asking this question about a few people in this movie. Is it Corbet or Corbett?
1: I used to say Corbett, and now I've been uh, lured over to feeling like if he was not born with the name Corbet, at some point he decided to he's like he feels like the kind of person who's like it's corbe like let's pronounce it Corbet. i don't know Uh, i've actually never heard me into
2: how i would maybe be drawn into this cult um is it dizia or dizia dizia i'm pretty sure i would probably
1: follow maria
2: dizia into a cult
1: yeah she's fantastic she's so good we'll talk about her um later on but this we'll was talk a... about the
2: whole like ecosystem of like the people involved in this movie and how it branches out into like other movies like movies we could talk about and like movies that like i don't know the sean durkin thing like there's also like uh in the venn diagram there's an antonio campos relation of course there's like it brings you into brady Corbet or well, brady corbett and it's yeah What is it about these movies that they're constantly fascinated about putting Maria Dizia in
1: violent situations? Yeah. Wait, what else are you thinking of when you say that?
2: I mean, not directly in Christine, but like... Sure. Vox Lux kind of famously opens with her getting shot basically in the face.
1: Oh, is she the teacher in that She's classroom? She's teacher in Vox Lux. I forgot about that. Yeah. She really does show up in kind of everything. She was, speaking of Antonio Campos, he directed most of the episodes, if not all of them, of The Staircase, and she played yep. the other non rosemary DeWitt mm-hmm. sister in The Staircase. We haven't really unhashed The Staircase together. How did you end up on that? I series? loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I was... It started to lose me for a second. I still think it probably would have worked better as a five-episode series and not a... It was eight, probably. right? Eight-episode series? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think once... Unfortunately, I tweeted this and I stand by it, even though it sounds insane. It's the only thing I've ever watched where I'm like, we probably could have used a lot less Juliette Binoche. Through no fault of her own. But I think pr- progressing the story to the point where her character enters into it... I don't necessarily need it and yet here's what I will also say. I think the mini the the series as a whole pivots or not pivots exactly but like exists both as a crime drama and a family drama and I was surprised at how much by the end of it it landed for me. As a family drama. And I because that's as one a family of those, drama,
2: like, I think it's better than the rest of it.
1: And that's why you cast like Sophie Turner. You know what I mean? Like it was it was sort right. of a joke at the beginning of like, why is Sophie Turner in this nothing role or whatever? And by the end, you're just like I came around to the fact that like, oh, okay, this is about in part, like the destruction of this family, this sort of cobbled together family, and whether it was a house built on sand this whole time and yada yada. Um and it's just also, like, Colin Firth is phenomenal. Like Yeah, the performance phenomenal. of his career. Yeah, he really is I, fantastic. I'm
2: fine settling on the show. I liked it significantly less while, like, I was engaged the whole time. It was one of those things that I'm halfway through, I'm like, I'm not gonna know until I'm on the other side of this if I think it's good or not. Yeah. I, I I'm fine settling on it being a vessel for what I think are some really incredible performances, but, like... Not a satisfying or, um, all that remarkable series on its own. Like, everybody is uniformly great. I think Toni Collette is doing things that maybe only she can do. Yes. (laughs) Um, and they are very lucky that she said yes to kind of all of the batshit things that she is tasked to do. Yeah. Um, including all of those, uh, death sequences. Yes. Um, and having her Ass eaten on screen by Colin Firth,
1: because mm-hmm.
2: um, when it was in the close up, I was like, "That's a, obviously that's a stand in," but I guess Colin Firth is going for it. And then they, they cut pulled to back wide. to show yeah. the whole thing, and I was like, uh, "Committed performers, um, yeah, adore them for that." Yeah
1: uh also it was insane how many bats were living in that attic i will never get over that scene where she chases them all out of the attic and you're just like there were tony collette like rises from like a squat
2: and says i am batman
1: essentially there were like hundreds of bats in that attic i will never get over it i will never be able to stop thinking about she shows up in the next uh
2: episode with a utility belt (laughs) she's like grappling onto the top of like Town hall.
1: Uh, I, I, I'm not in a position usually to say fuck Robert Pattinson, but fuck Robert Pattinson. Tony Collette is our new Batman. That's I will <laughs> I will not rest until we get that. Now, um, I am your mother and also Batman. That's her. That's her big line. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I really did like the staircase. I also have a lot less squeamishness than seemingly a lot of people do about the true crime genre. I kind of it doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people feel like they're uh, sort of are taking these kind of moral imperative stands against it or whatever, and it's bad for the world and whatever. Eh, I could give a shit. Honestly, like, I, like I
2: feel like landscapers did that better than the staircase did, and I know nobody watched landscapers. I didn't watch landscapers, yeah. Um. And, like, I, I ultimately feel like the staircase just, like, approaches that topic and then kind of backs off of it. Um... Yeah. And like I
1: kind of wish that it was all
2: that. Like at a certain point like it says all that it has to say about that and then there's three more episodes.
1: Yeah, I think that was maybe my one problem with it is that it did feel at times like it had run out of momentum and I think it somewhat it regains it by the end but there is um there is definitely a point around episode 6, I think, where I'm like why are we still why are why are we still showing? Like why is the yeah. show still happening? Yeah. So um but yeah, I really liked it. The the Antonio Campos of it all with relation to Sean Durkin is that he's in that sort of not exactly collective. Well, sort of. There it's called um borderline films, and it's mm-hmm. Sean Durkin, Antonio Campos, and then Josh Mond, who directed um that movie, James White with chris mm-hmm. abbott who was and also he produced uh,
2: a bunch of these movies that we've mentioned already including they all yeah martha marcy may Marlene, which we're here to
1: talk about they're all producers on each other's movies um they, they all share went a lot to... of the
2: same actors so it's like clearly yep. there there's yep. a vibe that like a lot of these performers are attracted to, and they're all kind of interested in the same things.
1: They all went to NYU together. They're all Tisch graduates, which I know like flips a lot of people's switches or whatever and makes them angry <laughs> at these people unnecessarily. Um, I think they're... I mean, I don't have a ton to say about Josh Modge, mostly because I never saw James White, and that's still the only feature he directed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen most of Antonio Campos' movies. The one that I haven't seen is After School, which is their first one that they all yeah. sort of worked on together,
2: yeah. which... Um, f- I tried to watch, and I like won't go too in-depth with this movie because it's a movie we could eventually talk about. I tried to do Christine on um, My Flight. Um, oh,
1: Christine's not an airplane movie. No, I got a
2: half hour into it and I was like, I don't think so, guys. No, and I watched like what did I watch on my Have plane? you never
1: seen it before? A first time no, watch for it. Christ- Oh, okay, okay, it. okay, 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 um, okay, And that's yeah. why
2: I was like, I can throw this on on
1: a plane. Turns out no. nope. Um, no, <laughs> no, not a not a plane movie. <laughs> um After School is Interesting. I'd never seen that movie, but I watched I read a plot synopsis of it and then I watched the trailer and of course you kind of can't talk about it now because it's Ezra Miller in the in the lead role Ezra Miller being violent um yeah right? yes that's well, like a
2: school shooting movie
1: it's not it's a it's a um these two girls overdose by a, a dr- it's a drug overdose with drugs that are tainted with rat poison and he, and uh and uh Ezra Miller plays a character who comes like comes upon them and essentially like s- sits down with them and watches them die, and so clearly this was like the uh-huh. role that got Ezra Miller the we need to talk about Kevin role, uh, which is the same year as Martha Marcy May Marlene actually, a but, movie that we will now never be able to do. Be, uh, yeah, yes, even I though know.
2: they are not part of. The conversation of that movie. When you talk about that well, movie, I mean, I
1: realize some not, people not. like
2: their performance in that movie, but like, I think
1: they give a very good performance in that movie. Everything else, notwithstanding, I am not in a position to talk about Ezra Miller's psychological state or crimes they may have committed. But like, I think it's a tremendous performance in that movie, and that movie doesn't succeed as good as much as Tilda Swinton is the show. There, I think that movie doesn't succeed if that role is not played very, very very well. Um, Um, But the thing about After School was it had a ton, seemingly, just from watching the trailer, and I know this is not, you know, you can't glean anything for real off of a trailer, but just from the look of it, feels like it's borrowing a lot from Michael Hanukkah and a lot from that mm -hmm. sort of mid-2000s, mid-aughts Gus Van Sant period, Elephant specifically. Um, And that feels like I don't know if you can necessarily find those influences specifically in Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, but it definitely feels like a thing that has influenced sort of the three of these guys going Mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's an interesting trio in that they don't really get talked about a lot. And it's because Antonio Campos aside, the other two haven't really directed that many movies between them they've only directed three movies you and and i were people
2: who loved and were incredibly excited for the nest when it was happening during the pandemic yep and that was that's his second feature there's a whole decade there and like sean durkin had done some tv he'd had proposed projects that didn't happen like i yeah. think he was one of many people attached to do a um janice joplin biopic oh i don't think i realized that That's i was consistent. trying to remember and i didn't have time to look it up but i i forget if he was the nina arianda uh, janice joplin or if he mm. was the amy adams janice joplin
1: it would make sense just on a superficial level that he would have been the Nina Arianda one because so many of the performers in these movies seem to be pulled from New York theater right. performers. Maria Dizia being one, Cynthia Nixon and James White being one. Honestly, um, give
2: us the Maria Dizia Janis Joplin. <laughs> for real. Although I think Nina she Arianda would also
1: like it. destroy it. Um, and also sort of like New York theater in that like, early 2010s period like it feels like very very sort of um, but I also I think of that collective I think Campos's stuff because he's done more projects than everybody else the the tone and the and the success sort of varies obviously his most recent film is the devil all the time which is a mess um, that does have some interesting bits in it but only because I think when you throw that many things at the wall certain things are going to turn out uh, okay anyway um, Christine I think is very, very good and daring. Simon Killer feels pretentious I haven't a little. Seen Simon Killer. Um Brady Corbett's. Simon Killer's is
2: the, his first feature, right?
1: No, after School's is his first feature, but uh but Simon Killer is was the Oh, okay. Uh was the one that followed that up. Um I still feel like Sean Durkin of the three of them feels like the most elegant of the three in terms of filmmaking mm-hmm. style. And certainly I think the progression from Martha Marcy to The Nest bears that out. I think The Nest is an incredibly assured uh, piece of directing. I said when I saw that movie at the time, uh, between that and Martha Marcy, Mae Marlene, I was like, if Sean Durkin ever decides to make an actual horror movie, it's going <laughs> to be on, because the way that he sort of weaves horror elements into two movies that are ultimately not horror... Is real interesting and real good. Yeah,
2: The Nest, which is a haunted house movie with no ghosts. Yeah, like yeah,
1: the ghost is capitalism. Yes, <laughs> um, honestly, like, and I just think he's incredibly talented for only having made two movies. And uh, they just announced something. Uh, a the Zac his. Efron,
2: um, like it. It sounds very Foxcatcher. Which like Foxcatcher seems like a movie Sean Durkin could have made. Um, Zac Efron. Oh, it's the Von Erich family. It's the wrestling
1: movie. Yes. Which, (laughs) knowing wrestling as I do, that story of that family is sort of infamous. This dynasty of of wrestlers from the South, who almost all of the sons in this family met untimely, sad untimely ends to to one degree or another. So it's an incredibly um, rich and ultimately tragic story and it's not you know, it's once again Sean Durkin not doing an actual horror movie so whatever, I guess I'll have to keep waiting for that one but um, I'm real real interested to see where that goes Mm-hmm But, I
2: mean, we, we've, we've laid a pretty, uh, firm foundation of like what these movies are. We should get into Martha Marcy, Mae Marlene. We should. So I might make you just do the plot description now. Let's not go crazy on these listeners and do another. 45 minutes in, uh, listeners, Gary's, we are here to talk about Martha Marcy May Marlene, written and directed by Sean Durkin, uh, starring a breakthrough we haven't even mentioned her name yet, Elizabeth Olsen. Um, the Incredible John Hawks, Sarah Paulson, Hugh Dancy, Brady Corbett Corbet, uh, <laughs> Maria Dizia, uh, Dizia uh, Christopher Abbott, Julia Garner, and Louisa Krause. Uh, the movie opened uh, in limited release on uh, October 21st, 2011, after pl- debuting at the Sundance Film Festival playing Cannes and Toronto as well. Yes. Mr. Joe Reed. Sure. Are you ready to give, I actually think this is going to be kind of difficult because there's an A plot and a B plot happening simultaneously. Yes. I kind of want to talk about them as A plots and B plots and see which you think is the A plot of the B plot. Yeah. Okay. Um, but for Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, are you ready for your 60 second plot description? Yes. All right. Then your
1: time starts now. Elizabeth Olsen plays Martha, who, as we begin our tale, is running away from a commune-slash-cult where she's been living for several years. She calls her sister Lucy to come pick her up, even though she doesn't know where she is, and she returns to stay with Lucy and her capitalist twat of a husband named Ted. Through flashbacks, we see moments of Martha's life in the cult, where she was given the name Marcy May by the leader Patrick, who has sex with the female cult members, often forcibly, and we see him rape Martha early on. As she becomes more indoctrinated, she falls in line with the cult's practices, even going so far as to drug another young woman so that Patrick can rape her and indoctrinate her the cult. when the cult starts home invasions and they murder a man is when martha finally re- realizes she needs to escape meanwhile she's having a terrible time with her sister from whom she was estranged even before she joined the cult martha's lost all sense of proper socialization she's paranoid that the cult members are out to get her she's traumatized she kind of hates her bougie sister and the aforementioned twat of a husband when things finally get too out of control lucy pays for martha to go to a psychiatric treatment center but on the way martha still thinks the cult is following her and won't ever let her go
2: under the sixty seconds, congratulations! Probably sir. my you first did an time in a incredible while. Incredible job!
1: I left a lot of detail out. There's a lot of detail in this that actually, yeah. you know, is what sort this of this is makes a movie
2: it. that you kind of marinate in, not just the vibe of the movie, but in. God this is going to be so hard to get through this episode without saying trauma so much. I
1: know, but, like, it's true though. The
2: trauma that she's gone through and the disorientation yes. that she experiences both within the cult and then once she leaves it as well, the type of hardwiring of her brain that has yeah. uh, been altered. Well, she's um, what
1: she's 22 when she escapes, I believe. I that was at least in the in the very Wikipedia young. description. Yeah. I don't know if they I couldn't remember whether they said that explicitly in the movie or not, but And you get the sense that she'd been in the cult for several years. So, at like Mm -hmm. when we see her sort of in the earliest flashbacks, she's not like a high schooler, but like I would believe she's probably like 18, 19 years old Mm -hmm. when she sort of joins this cult. It feels like she was in it for around three years, Um, just sort of by, you know how the flashbacks kind of lay And, out. like, as the cult
2: is beginning to grow, but, like, as you see time pass, you can see they're not really adding new people to it. They're just, like, their own little community. Well,
1: Julia That's Garner nice. is the one, sort of... Uh, who's added, right? Who's, who the, who so do that we, we see can added. see
2: that Martha eventually plays a role in the abuse that's happening.
1: I her. wanted to avoid the term grooming just because it's become so, you know, hot button these days. but like right. that's like classic like cult grooming practices, right? Where yeah. she's, you know, she's making her feel good about it and she gives her the drugged, you know, whatever wheat grass disgusting. Smoothie. Smoothie thing. Yeah. And we see also this like chain of abuse, right? Because who's the one who's helping her crush the pills into the smoothie? It's Maria Dizia's character. Maria Dizia who is the who kills the guy
2: eventually
1: right but who is also the mother of the baby that when elizabeth olsen is going through the house and just like oh this is the baby and julia garner feels like very unsure about whether she wants to like take care of this baby and she's like i don't have to like watch the baby right and she's like no you'll find other ways to fit in or whatever but it feels like we're getting a sense of this kind of Ecosystem, but also this chain of command almost, where like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Maria Dizia helped indoctrinate Martha, and then Martha is now helping indoctrinate Kel- uh, uh, Julia Garner. I almost said Kelly Garner. God, whatever happened to Kelly Garner? Remember that actress? Aw. She was in uh, Lars and the Real Girl, among other things. She's good in Lars certain- and the Real Girl. She is. Um, but anyway, you get the sense that Julia Garner, if, you know, the cult keeps going and she sticks around in it long enough that she'll eventually, you know, indoctrinate somebody else into it. And it goes on and on and on. And obviously this feels like... I read somewhere that Durkin made the active choice to not get too far into the cult's belief system or, like, goals. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You don't really get a sense of the sort of bigger picture. It's not like we see a ton of scenes of John Hawks' character pontificating greatly we get it's a lot sort of smaller moments of control and we get a little sense of like what he appeals to in these women which is um don't you think the world is bullshit haven't your you know parents failed you don't you feel a lack of love in your life a lack of belonging or whatever all these ways that he gets to them but this isn't really a movie about a cult right which makes sense in the title. The title isn't, you know, Patrick. It's It's cult. the different fractures of
2: her identity that happen by the experience of being in a cult. Because Martha's her birth name, Marcy May is the name that the cult leader gives her, yep. and Marlene is the, like, front-facing persona when... It's like a code word. It's, it's like a code name. They all answer the phone, all these women answer the phone saying their name is Marlene. So, so that they like, can't be
1: identified if, like whatever investigators exactly. come a calling or somebody's parents come calling or whatever. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, this is a movie that I kind of loved from the jump. It was interesting. What movie did you mention earlier about a trailer? This movie has a very, very, um, like at the time kind of coming out of nowhere. um, very kind of bracing trailer because it's just I don't that remember call. it specifically
1: that's interesting.
2: It's the call it basically hinges on the call that Martha makes when she escapes to her sister and like mm. which not only kind of announces this movie as like not a horror movie but about uh some pretty scary shit Um, and also kind of announces Elizabeth Olsen as this, like, huge breakthrough performance, because, like, the movie hinges on her, but, like, the trailer itself does. Yeah. Um, in kind of, like, an announcement way of, like, here's this performer we're gonna be talking about. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but, um... Well, I was- loved this movie very early on. I feel like as I've aged with it, I have a little bit more like snags, um, mostly to do with, like I was saying, that A plot and B plot of it in that I think, I think the movie thinks that the recovery the escape is the a plot yes and is treating the cult stuff like it's the b plot but i think the opposite is actually true because you get kind of a climax and maybe this is part of the point um i just i question how effective it is um the the cult plot of the movie has like climax, uh, resolution, etc. because like the climax of that story is when yeah. they kill that guy and right. then we know she escapes. Yeah. And the there is less resolution and less like forward momentum yeah. with the other story and like you get that uh, incredible final shot that still scares the fucking shit out of me. How fast that time. car
1: advances on them? Yeah.
2: Yeah, um yeah. and like obviously, what that The final feeling you're supposed to be left with is even if that's not the cult finally finding her and coming to get her, she'll never
1: know peace now.
2: Exactly. She'll never, she'll never be able to find peace. And I think the movie, like, that's a simplistic idea, but the movie does it so effectively and like viscerally in a way that like scares the shit out of you. Um, especially because it comes right off of she goes swimming and there's that guy watching
1: her, which is so creepy.
2: Yeah. And if you pay attention in the final shot, I think they use. Use the same actor of the guy that was watching her because when you get in the car he gets in the car he's wearing a white shirt and the guy that was watching her was wearing a white shirt and it looks conceivably like it could be the same guy and of course you're also meant to question because of the way the movie's been structured so far is Is that interaction even real? Like, you know, has she been built up to? uh, Does she have so much paranoia built up in her that, like, not only will she not know, like, peace because of what she's gone through, but, like, will she even be able to trust that, like, what she's feeling, what she's seeing, right? Uh, what she's sensing in her environment around her is real or, like,
1: yeah. Well, imagination, and sort of to your point about what's the a plot and what's the b plot. I think there's also a way to view this movie as a and b plots. the The distinction between them becomes so fuzzy in her head mm-hmm. that they there there maybe is not a separation or as much of a separation between them right. as we would traditionally think. I think so much of the of the movie becomes about, and I think one of the th- Roger Ebert mostly really likes this movie. I think he gave it three and a half out of four stars. But his one snag with it was he f- he thought that the um the sort of gotcha editing where you think that you're still in one uh, timeline and then you're in the slick, other. Too slick he thought it was a little too slick. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I feel like I think that's that's the story. The story mm-hmm. is that her she's not she may have escaped physically this place but she has not escaped this place in her mind and it's bleeding into you know her mm-hmm. her life after the fact and it's hampering her from maybe rebuilding a connection with her sister although There's a way to look at this to be very dubious as to whether that was ever a possibility to begin with. Maybe Mm -hmm. that connection was severed long before she even joined the cult. Um, But anyway, I feel like that kind of tricksy editing feels like the point rather than an embellishment, if that makes sense.
2: No, I think it's the point too i think it's just that there's moments where it is better deployed than others and like sometimes it feels a little like like there's a shot where she's in one storyline she's standing she's getting ready to stand up and then in the other story you see her like fully stand up and it's it's things like that where you're maybe telegraphing what you're doing to the point that it distracts you from what you're actually doing maybe. Sure. Um, sure but sure. like there are times in this movie where it is really actually disorienting that like you can't tell. I, I felt that with the scene where you see her like pee herself when she's sleeping. Yeah. Um, on this rewatch because I was like I actually can't remember which storyline this is in right now. Right. Right. Um, right. But no, I do like this movie. I think that some of, and of course it is, it is the point, but like as I've rewatched it, I, it's maybe that I thought there was more there, there with the sister stuff, with the Hugh Dancy stuff. Yeah. And now I'm like, that chunk of the movie isn't as satisfying as I would like it to be, but it is. I don't still, disagree. Yeah. Um, I still think this is a really good movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's fantastic. I, yeah. I I'm gonna We're fans propo- of this movie. <laughs> I'm going to propose that we kind of put a pin in the Elizabeth Olsen and save that kind of for last, just because mm-hmm. that's what brings us into the Oscar conversation more than the others. I want to talk about Sarah and there's Paulson. there's a lot
2: to talk about with this Best Actress race.
1: Right. Well, I want to get to the rest of the cast then, because and start with Sarah Paulson as Lucy, the sister, because this is a really interesting sort of a juncture... In her career. Because 2011. This uh, this movie comes out. It's also the first. That's the year that the first season. Of American Horror Story uh, comes out. And mm-hmm. that. Uh, she's in three episodes of that. She's a guest star only. But then that becomes kind of. the The main spoke of her career. Even though she's definitely. She continues to be in other things. But like the American Horror Story. Slash. American crime story, this, the the Ryan Murphy of it all, becomes so well, much— Well, and this is the
2: American horror story before we knew that the whole plan was to make it an anthology series. Like, people right. thought that they were watching Connie Britton be in some role that was intended to be for forever, right? I don't even remember who Sarah Paulson was that season.
1: She was the psychic that uh, Jessica Lange sort of consults towards the end, I think maybe after Jessica Lange's daughter— is killed, um, but she's a psychic and she ends up, I think she ends up laying some groundwork for the sort of uh, the jump to whatever the next season uh, uh, Mm -hmm. whatever connection there was to the next season, because the next season was Asylum, and she's essentially one of the leads. She and Lang and Evan Peters are sort of the three leads of that season, and that's sort of when she becomes the the centerpiece of Ryan Murphy's sort of television empire. But before that, she was a classic character Let's actress in film and television who would show up in a bunch of things. And it was one of those, she's one of those performers who were like, once you learned who her name was, you had already seen her probably in a dozen things. The very first thing I remember seeing her in, and it wasn't even a show that I watched, but CBS had this show called American Gothic in the mid nineties. That was this kind of X files ish sort of, um, supernatural uh I don't think like, I've ever heard drama. of drama. It was um in it only lasted one season. It was her, Lucas Black, right around the time of Sling Blade, uh-huh. and Gary Cole were in this. But I remember That the, all sounds
2: fully feasible.
1: <laughs> the ads for it I saw a ton, especially watching um because you watch NFL football around September on a network and you get all of that shows like here's what all the new shows are whatever and it was this really creepy uh trailer for this show and Sarah Paulson played this like teenage girl who kept uh, uh in the the trailer you, the little bit you got on TV she kept saying someone's at the door and i remember like that was this fall on CBS contains some violent scenes this like that was kind of the hook of the trailer and so mm-hmm. years later, when I would see her in other things I was like oh my God, she's the American gothic girl, mm-hmm. but she was in a show called Jack and Jill on the WB that also starred Amanda Pete and uh Jamie Presley and Simon Rex and Ivan Sergey, the guy from uh, the opposite of sex, if you recall, um, this was this like you know like relationship drama on, uh, the WB. She was in. I'm trying to like f- pick out the like highlights because she really the did... first
2: time I ever saw her, which like sounds kind of like a basic answer, but she's incredible. And in every time I watch this movie, I'm just like, she's
1: amazing, perfect. Uh, Down with Love, of course. That was the first time amazing I, I knew incredible. her as, <laughs> um a name. Like, that was 2003. By that point, she had been in like, brief roles in The Other Sister and What Women Want, and she had been on, obviously, uh, Jack and Jill and, and American Gothic, and then right after, maybe not right after, like, but within a couple years after her being in Down With Love, which like, that's a featured part where like, she's the, she's Zellweger's best friend, co-worker, something, right? Uh, yes, editor. Yes.
2: Um, Just- she's constantly smoking. Yes. She is so funny. Her yes. love story is opposite David Hyde Pierce right. at that time. No, I mean nobody knew Sarah Paulson, so it's like, can you be closeted if nobody knows who you are? But right, like, this lesbian woman like, and this gay man and this so, storyline. Like, <laughs> yeah. Watching that movie now, it's even funnier than it like it was to begin with. Well, um, so
1: you know, um I watch mm-hmm. clips from the Meryl Streep AFI uh, gala often, right? The Tracy Ullman yes, story, so my, yes, the so Nora Ephron story, whatever. I. I recently found the whole thing uploaded to YouTube. It's since been taken down. It's bullshit. Um, So I watched the whole thing one day. I probably should have been working and doing other things, but I definitely watched the entirety of the Meryl Streep AFI uh, gala. And it was from 2004. And you know this because Jim Carrey is the quasi-MC who, like... Um talks about having just worked with her on lemony snicket, so and she still she also the shit out of him right she really yes, she was so like looked at him so adoringly, and he after he kind of did de- he does his like you know antiky stuff uh w- in the crowd or whatever, but you can tell he also really um reveres her and and kind of seeks her approval in a way that like I I found very endearing. She also has the Manchurian candidate haircut. Remember that era of meryl oh, where yeah. like um she showed up to all those award shows for like Angels in America and very collected all those awards brown. with the short brown uh uh Manchurian candidate haircut. But anyway, so this is 04. So this is only a year after Down with Love. And in that audience as Diane Keaton's date is Sarah Paulson and i watched that and i, I was like forgot oh god they dated and i had forgotten that i had heard i don't even know if it was ever like on front street but i remember hearing through like back channels that like sarah paulson before she dated holland taylor dated diane keaton which am i wrong in remembering that she dated sorkin and Studio 60 was partly
2: based on their relationship. No,
1: so Sarah Paulson in Studio 60 played the role that was widely understood to be based on Kristen Chenoweth, who did That's date Aaron Sorkin, is. and That's that and, and 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 that relationship in the, that storyline in the show, where it's Sarah Paulson and Matthew Perry, is is widely recognized to be based on the Kristen Chenoweth Aaron Sorkin relationship, who had dated actually before Kristen Chenoweth appears on as a regular character on the West Wing, because by that time, Sorkin had left that show. Um, but Studio 60, Studio 60 so full, because it does feature a character who is so very obviously based on uh, himself. Like, Christine Lottie at one point plays a character who is very, very, very obviously based on Maureen Dowd, who also Sorkin dated uh, and had sort of a, Uh, feelings about so like there was so much whatever i can't get into the studio 60 of it Um, (laughs) but anyway yes that was i don't uh, yeah there was no there was no former dating relationship between paulson but that was the connection there i also
2: believe in this early period pre ryan murphy uh sarah paulson was also still kind of regularly doing theater i i'm not sure when like She kind of stopped. You know, Sarah Paulson was the original. um, She was in the original production of Killer Joe, and she played the
1: Juno Temple role, which is just like, boom. Well, she was also. My brain is short circuiting. um, Hold on a second, because she was also in a production of the glass menagerie you know how like every two years or whatever they'll revive the glass menagerie i I think
2: you mean two months
1: yes exactly so it was in uh 2005 she was in a production of the glass menagerie playing laura wingfield opposite jessica lang who was amanda so like pre like pre-saging their american horror story stuff uh josh lucas played um Jim. Is Jim the gentleman caller? Is that what uh, uh, that role is? Anyway. um, And then Christian Slater as Tom, which is yeah. kind of wild casting. Um, But anyway, yes, she was in that. She was in Killer Joe. She was in a production of Crimes of the Heart. And now I want to see... That tracks. Uh, ...who was in this one with her. Crimes of the Heart, interestingly enough. Um... Uh, Hold on, hold on, hold on. Now I'm going to have to look this up on IBDB.
2: The vastly underrated IBDB, which is just like, it's like old school box office mojo. It just gives you what you're looking for. Yes. It's not all fancy and ugly like IMTB is now.
1: Okay, get this. 2007... Uh, a williamstown theater festival production of the uh of uh, crimes of the heart directed by kathleen turner starring among others sarah paulson lily rabe and then Kelly rocha who was on um in buffy and also uh briefly on grace anatomy um that moved to uh the roundabout theater off broadway um doesn't say what role she played, whether she played the same role that Diane Keaton played in the film or not. Um, anyway, so she Didn't was. Didn't Sarah
2: Paulson also play a Nell in
1: uh, Steel Magnolias somewhere? Maybe. Am I just fan casting that? I don't know. I don't know. That I don't know uh, uh, for sure, but would be amazing. So obviously, the. Um, American Horror Story thing kind of jolts her up. She wins, you know, and the Ryan Murphy thing in general jolts her up. She wins Emmy awards. She's nominated for a bunch. She levels up in terms of casting. She's in 12 years a slave. She's in Carol. She rules in Carol. She's My so God.
2: good. Carol is like the last time that I feel like we've had Sarah Paulson like ripped from the clutches of ryan murphy um we want her (laughs) back like carol is almost on the same level as martha i think she's better in carol but i think she's great in martha marcy may marlene but it is the kind of same type of sarah paulson performance in that like she's better than she is even called to be yes um and sells the kind of real life stakes of what's going on and, like, complicates it with a certain level of nuance, too. Like, I think she's really great in this movie, Um, especially when she's playing the, like, the, like, kind of one foot on either side of the door or whatever the metaphor is of, like, Really trying to help and understand and be supportive and push forward her sister, yes. but also being a normal human being who is like
1: incredibly frustrated with what a fucking asshole her sister is. Um, I go back and forth a lot in this movie as to which one I sympathize with because, on some level, I look at Lucy and I'm you feel bad because. She doesn't know how to help her sister, and the frustration that she feels feels natural that you would be confronted with somebody who is behaving the way Martha is behaving, and you're like, yeah, and she's like, totally invaded your life, and that would be annoying. And yet, I also look at her character, and I'm like, you are handling this so poorly. You have sort of jumped headlong into... There's that very early scene where she picks her up, she brings her home, um, she's just taken... Martha's just taken a shower and martha says she doesn't really she's not interested in like having dinner or whatever she just wants to sleep and lucy says get a good night's sleep tonight and you'll be as good as new tomorrow and that feels like a distillation of lucy's character in general which is yeah i want you to be she better it very
2: poorly at the beginning and she's like trying to put martha in these sundresses and she just like called
1: you from the middle of fucking nowhere and you're like
2: well, you appear to be fine, so I guess it's fine. And she wants her to, to be like... better,
1: and 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 feels like she can just sort of like say it and be so. But she also she keeps saying what happened to you, but she doesn't ever really probe it. I don't. You get the sense that she doesn't really want to know the gory details of what happened, and because of that, she gets she has this expectation that Martha just like just just stop acting crazy, and. Things will be right. fine. And that well, because really frustrates I think,
2: me. I think Lucy thinks early on in the movie, the what happened to you is like a bad breakup, a drug bender, right. something like that, because right. it seems like that's what the foundation of a lot of their struggles are. Yeah. And then I think there's a certain point where she realized, no, something bad might have happened to you. But she doesn't want to know. Like it. the asshole you have always acted like. Yeah. But. You are also acting not normal in a way that's putting up a lot of red flags. And I, I do think you're right that like Lucy is more appropriate I think in the back half of the movie because it's like she's trying to grapple with something happened to her sister and her be- her bad behavior is like something that i need to help take care of but like at the same time Martha is also being the asshole she's always been in saying things
1: like you're going to be a horrible mother and well like, but this also feels like self-fulfilling prophecy confirmation bias stuff happening where mm-hmm. Lucy expects martha to be that like lucy as you said in her head this was martha going and like fucking off with a boyfriend and doing drugs and whatever and now she's come back and and i think lucy sort of looks at her as this fuck up who has you know fucked it up one time too many and now she's got to come back and From Martha's perspective, and I don't think Martha's necessarily wrong, she sees a lot of condescension in in Lucy and a lot of judgment, and obviously this all goes back to their relationship from before Martha ever left, and I think that combined with the fact that Hugh Dancy's character—Hugh Dancy's so good in this, but he plays such a dick— like, he's, he's so- a dick,
2: but like, you can kind of understand where he's coming from sometimes, where it's like, he, I mean, he is very, very quick to call out Martha's bad behavior that may have absolutely yes. nothing to do with the fact that, with her experience within a cult. Right. Um, But, like, you also have to understand, like, he's a loving, supportive spouse who, like, has probably had to listen to his spouse sob over her sister and hear all of the bad shit that her sister has done to her. And, you know, he's still an asshole. But, like, I I think the foundation of all those things are there in Hugh Dancy's performance.
1: Well, you also get that scene at the dinner table where she kind of goes off on him for being a capitalist, you know, fuckboy or whatever and and says that, you know, there are ways to live that are not that do not revolve around money and possessions, which is one of those things to say that is both true and untrue at the same time. It's one of those things where it's just like that, you know, feels uh privileged in a way, but it also feels like a thing that maybe has more truth in it than you want to admit that you could, you know, where she essentially is like, you could live, you know, you, if you want to just fuck off and go to France, you could, you know what I mean? You, it would not be, you know, the comfortable life that you are used to, but you could. And well, this is
2: what I think the movie does really well in terms of Martha's psyche is that that's that right there is one of those moments where it's like, someone is communicating something that might have an actual truth to it, but there's also a darker side of, like, well, where is it coming from? Or sometimes it works in the opposite direction. Like, that example right there, it's like, yeah, it's true, and it's like, this is this yuppie guy who we maybe in the audience don't like, so it's like, we could maybe see how that is very true about him, but we know the reason Martha is saying this is because it's been indoctrined
1: into her brain Well, within a very specific toxic
2: like context
1: but it also feels to me like it's another occasion of how you almost can't separate past and present with Martha is this something that Martha used to maybe think about and what's helped draw her to this cult is this a thing where like she maybe had a kernel of this idea that the cult managed to like sharpen and weaponize within her mm-hmm. this this feeling and you don't no and i think that not knowing makes it really makes you feel for her all the more where it's just like oh there is no where you end and this cult begins feels very 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 fuzzy
2: it makes you have like you're saying even more compassion for martha but i think also the way that durkin is positioning it it also builds this sense of uneasiness that you have through the whole movie yeah of like I don't know it's it's rooting you in her brain and that's why it's like so uneasy that's why it feels like you know the boogeyman could jump out at any minute in this movie and why like, like you mentioned at the top of the uh, recording that like Jerkin is doing like horror adjacent type of things or like chasing kind of horror vibes like thank god this movie came out before like elevated horror discourse because <laughs> kill me now um, uh, but yeah, like all of it, it, this movie is such an interesting tangle because, like, you can kind of, like, it's all feeding into the vibes, it's all feeding into the performance and, like, the character study in a way that it's, like, it's always interesting to, like, go back and rewatch this movie and also to talk about. But, like, I think it's also a lot of what makes it not an Oscar movie.
1: Sure. Yes. Um, I want to talk about the rest of the cast. This obviously was, um, it's interesting. the The twinning in many ways of this movie and Winter's Bone is very interesting because it is the very There's two next. Two reasons
2: why I think this movie had Oscar buzz, and one of them is Winter's Bone.
1: Yes. Uh, well, it it premieres at the very next Sundance after Winter's Bone, and I remember when Winter's Bone premiered, very very specifically. I obviously have not was not in that Sundance. I've never been to Sundance. But I remember very specifically the word coming out of Sundance wasn't only that like Winter's Bone, a movie to watch or whatever. It was very specifically Winter's Bone, Jennifer Lawrence is a star. She will be nominated for the Oscar for this. And uh, it was like, it was definite. And so John Hawks is in that movie, was a much less likely Oscar nominee from Winter's Bone, but he, you know, the people who loved that movie really pushed for that nomination. He gets a nomination. It is a... God, you talk about Sarah Paulson as the classic character actress? Even more so. John Hawks, both of them were in Deadwood, by the way. Both of those two were mm-hmm. in Deadwood. Um uh, John Hawks was the face that you saw in a billion things, right? He's in, you know... I can't even, you know, he's in Miami Vice. He's in, uh, uh, he's in Identity. He's in obviously Deadwood. He's in eight billion TV shows. He has this very sort of like notable, you know, weathered kind of face to him. And he finally makes good and he gets this Oscar nomination, which feels like the least likely thing to have ever happened to this guy. And it happens. And then the very next year he is playing this sort of featured supporting role in another movie that announces a brand new actress to be reckoned with. And it really Coming felt out like of
2: Sundance. Really felt a big like prize. Winter's
1: Bone Redo where it's just like, oh, another young actress comes out of nowhere with kind of an even better story because she's Mary Kate Nashley Olson's, you know, bonus Jonas yeah. sister. And it looking back from our perspective now, It makes sense that Jennifer Lawrence was nominated for Winter's Bone and Elizabeth Olsen wasn't for Martha, Marcy, and May Marlene because Winter's Bone is a much more accessible movie than this one is. I could put my mom in front of Winter's Bone. I could not put my mom in front of this movie. Exactly. But the narrative coming out of Sundance felt exactly the same.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was that your experience of it as well? No, 1,000%. Like Beyond the presence of John Hawks, these are two movies that could not be more different i feel like i mean they're both small but like winter's bone is even smaller than this movie um they could not be more different yet they were treated or received by the media at least identically like they and like i don't think that's how searchlight pushed This movie like in the mold of winter's bone like i think they they presented the movie as it was to audiences it's not like you know audiences were deceived but like people like us who maybe were expecting something like that you know i could understand them being disappointed or thinking that it doesn't measure up to the potential of something like winter's bone because they're so different this is an alienating movie this is a you know, yeah. it's an upsetting movie, whereas I think Winter's Bone, even though there's a lot of darkness there, it's ultimately,
1: if not a crowd pleaser, you know, like, it, it ends... It feels like it stays within a a format that people know. You know what I mean? Sa-
2: and they can sa- be satisfied with where it goes. You know, I think it's that's not, right. It's I not a downer.
1: Right. I think that's um, right.
2: I think, it's downer circumstances, but like the, you know, the the arc, the resolution of that movie is not. Yeah. Um,
1: I think Hawks is tremendous, though, in Martha Marcy.
2: John Hawks, uh, there's more we could talk about. But, well, I guess we can't do the sessions, but like John Hawks has this three-year run mm-hmm. of sundance movies winter's bone martha marcy may marlene and then the sessions which went through 19 title changes
1: right coming the sessions and it was *The surrogate right initially it's when it played at sundance i think it was called the surrogate yeah yeah because she was a sex Um, surrogate
2: and then it became six sessions and then it became the session yeah whatever conceivably was sixth place for best actor that year I don't think he was that close for Martha Marcy May Marlene because no, he like wasn't. I actually forgot when you go back and you look at this award season like he really did not get No, he didn't. Like and and it's weird because like he was so beloved for Winter's Bone and was like a success story that you would think he would almost have a better shot than Elizabeth Olsen would. Yeah. Um But it didn't turn out that. Uh, Of the three performances, like, no question, this one I think is the best of them. He's. It's almost this impossible part because he has to do, he has to achieve or present a million different things. He has to be so terrifying. He has to be alluring. You have to understand why people would be drawn to him but he also has to be you know terrifying and he is like kind of sexy he is like you know and, and like you watch John Hawks in an interview and he's like this nice guy yes and even in something like Winter's Bone, he's not somebody you would think of to play a cult leader. Yet at the same time, he divers- delivers this performance that you're like, well, this is perfect. This is perfect casting. Yeah. He's, you know, maybe the only person who could play this role in this way where it's like he could drive someone to violence, he could drive yeah. someone to degrade themselves. He, but like, you know, he's so captivating and so terrifying in this movie without like doing anything particularly scary or like dominating. Right. You know?
1: Yeah. Um, I think he's tremendous. I think Hugh Dancy is very good. Again, playing a role that is, you're supposed to kind of uh, bristle against at least to some degree. He, at this point in his career, um, was actually kind of he had been in a bunch of things and often as a you know an incredibly charming uh you know character he's in in a bunch of these movies actually that I haven't seen so I'm not entirely sure I imagine his character in Ella Enchanted is Prince Charmot so he's either the prince that she ends up with or the prince who's bad for her. You know, one of, and I could see either of those two things <laughs> being true. Um he's uh he's a dual role. He it's like Lapita <laughs> in uh it's you know, he's Wait, both here's both. something you can talk to me about. He's in basic instinct 2. <sighs> I am
2: telling you, we need revival screenings of Basic Instinct 2. It is the Midnight movie that everyone is Who sleeping is on. That movie is fucking crazy. Who
1: is he in that? Do you remember at all? Well, he's not the male lead.
2: No, so that's I David Morrissey.
1: Forget. Yeah. I
2: don't think that he even has a sex scene, if I remember correctly.
1: He's like eighth build or something like that. So maybe yeah. he's not like super, super, super uh, um, pertinent. But anyway.
2: Basic Instinct 2 is nuts, and like, that movie is absolute garbage, so, like, it deserved the, like, critical reception that it received, but at the same time, like, go back and read those reviews, it is the most, like, appalling sexism that, like, the movie doesn't deserve because Sharon Stone, I think, knows what movie she's in, and she's at least, you know, showing up to work to be in that movie. Right. But, like, it's a bad movie.
1: Um... He's in, uh, He's the one boy who's a member of the Jane Austen Book Club. He is the evening he's Let's in not the evening. yes, he's the alcoholic um brother slash closeted gay character in evening closeted, right? Yes, yes, um he's because he's he dies
2: of, for his love of Patrick Wilson
1: as yes. we all will, <laughs> yes, as we all will at some point in our lives. Um, he's the third wheel in the mother son. Uh, a bad sex triangle in Savage, Savage Grace. Grace. Yeah. He's the I know he's the love interest to um, Isla Fisher in Confessions of a Shopaholic, the PJ Hogan movie because I definitely saw that movie. Um, and then also in 2009, he's in that movie Adam, which feels like the first time that somebody is sort of crafting an indie movie around her, around him that um felt like it had at least small scale hopes for it was a thought that was another fox searchlight movie that had small scale hopes for an awards push for him
2: well because of what it is he's uh i believe he's playing an autistic character i think his character has has asperger's Asperger's, i think i think specifically asperger yeah 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 um with uh like a romantic relationship with rose byrne yes um
1: you know it's
2: the movie that you think it is um
1: what's interesting about his career is in 2011 he's in martha marcy may marlene and our idiot brother he doesn't show up again in a feature film in any major way until late night in 2019 because he takes a total complete detour into television where he's uh on the big c he is obviously one of the lead he plays will graham and hannibal he's awesome on that show absolutely mads mickelson's the 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 lead attraction and so many of the like side characters and like jillian anderson is so incredible in hannibal but like hugh dancy hannibal has no business
2: being as good as it is 100 percent
1: Fully is. It was so good. I loved it so much. Um, he was in that really disappointing Hulu series, The Path, also about a cult, um, with Aaron Paul that I remember having to cover in my capacity at uh, at Decider. He was on Homeland for a while. He was on The Good Fight for a little bit. Like He kind of just sort of mostly did TV. He also did theater because he was in mm-hmm. two plays that I saw him in that were really, really good. The one off-broadway production called the pride which was a gay story with him and ben was and also andrea riseborough was in it i loved that play um and then he's the male lead he's the counterpart to nina arianda in venus and fur which like right she's the show there she wins the tony but like he he either he either took over for whoever played that role off-Broadway or it was the other way around, and I can't remember. Mm. He was the one I saw. But um, give me one second and I'll figure this out. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, Because wasn't it someone else who was famous? It was. It was Wes Bentley off-Broadway. And then it was Hugh Dancy Mm. on Broadway. And I thought Hugh Dancy was great. Obviously, like again, Nina Arianda is the reason uh, she's the show there. But anyway. (laughs) She's the show um i thought he was i think he's great in martha marcy this supporting cast though you made a point of you wanted to really get into it because uh it really i goes mean deep. it's uh,
2: we've already talked about it as like the uh the ecosystem of these like directors and producers who all work together mm-hmm. but like it has brady corbet in there christopher abbott brady corbet there, the same like, year
1: as melancholia by the way
2: that's true it's so interesting to watch it and see, like, the two of them on screen together, but also their babies in this. Yeah. Um, I mean, Brady gourmet had already been a baby in 13, but... Um,
1: but Christopher that, Abbott, this was the year before Girls. I believe Girls is 2012, right?
2: Probably? I think that's right. That That sounds, you know, spiritually right. <laughs> but... Uh, in terms of like who has maybe the higher profile as an actor now, it's probably Christopher Abbott because he still acts yeah, um what uh was Brady, Brady Corbet was in force majeure, right? I feel like that's the last time I've seen a performance of his
1: well, was force majeure before or after when he shows up briefly in while we're young?
2: I mean, maybe that's roughly the same time. It might
1: be around the same time. But anyway, yeah, now he's a filmmaker, obviously directed um, uh, Vox Lux, a future, this had Oscar Buzz selection at some point, Vox Lux.
2: (laughs) A guarantee. Um, Yeah. Christopher Abbott is an interesting actor... I brace myself for if there are ever stories cuz it just seems feasible. James White, however, like James White is like bummer town, but if you can ever like stomach it, he's really great. Um I hated him in Gerard Car- Carmichael's movie, though I understand why other people loved I him.
1: I loved him in that. I did not like that movie, but I thought he was by far that, the best for part me, of it. Yeah, I didn't
2: like the movie either, unfortunately. Like I I appreciated what it was going for. The but his performance really grated on me in a way that like I'm like Christopher Abbott is really from like the ankles up usually with a performance and that felt very put on to me. Interesting, but um, no, I yeah.
1: thought he was and tremendous. Like like in you that.
2: mentioned, it's a lot of these New York theater actors like Louisa Krauss who um is a gay icon just for her brief performance in Young Adult. Wait, who is she in Young Adult? She's the hotel check-in lady.
1: Yes! Oh, shit. I totally forgot about that.
2: I, I mean, like, she's mostly done theater, including the flick. I was going to say, China.
1: that's what I know her the best from, is uh, is the Annie Baker play the flick. She's really, really good in that. She was also on a season of The Girlfriend Experience, not the one with Riley Keough, but I believe... The first one? No, Riley Keough was, was the there, first have one. Have there been more? yeah there were like three of them i want the one that i re- i uh, reviewed was um oh shit now i'm gonna forget who it's uh carmen the it's it was one <sighs> of the, the second season was like two stories that i don't think ever really connected uh it was mm. carmen a and um oh i love her uh what's her name oh my god um anyway i'm gonna totally forget it um Give me a second. Oh no, it was uh uh season three was Carmen Ejogo. Season two was mm-hmm. Louisa Krauss, and then Anna Friel is also in that season. Um, but I guess it was behind the camera that I interviewed um uh Amy Simons. Because Amy Simons did was showrunner, Simons, I believe, subscribe. for the second season. Also in the first. Um Amy Simons was a really good interview for that. That was a show that um I wouldn't have watched it if I wasn't covering it professionally. I ended mm-hmm. up really liking it, and then when I didn't have to cover it anymore, I kind of didn't go back for the third season, even though... Um, right. um, oh, no, I did, because I remember watching the Carmen Ejogo stuff. Anyway, whatever, whatever. Um, better... Uh, good show, but within this TV landscape of, like, so many things, n- probably wouldn't have been something I would have sought out anyway. Um, Louisa Krauss, very briefly, and Martha Marcy, but very good. And then maria dizia around this no uh, martha marcy is the year after she gets that surprise tony nomination for the sarah rule play in the next room the vibrator play mm-hmm. which i saw which was laura benanti and um michael serverus michael serverus who gets naked in that play or got naked in that play um really Oh yeah. Like I was in, like, I don't the, think I ever heard that. I was in like the second row and it was like right in front of me. Um anyway. Oh, there you go. He plays that's it's the same. Remember that Maggie Gyllenhaal movie about like the invention of hysteria the vibrator. Hysteria
2: starring Hugh Dancy.
1: Uh oh, interesting. Yes. It's essentially the same story. Michael Cerverus plays the doctor right. who essentially invents the vibrator as a uh therapeutic tool for women who are um being diagnosed with things like hysteria. Maria Dizia. Plays the main patient who gets who is benefited by uh, this uh, therapy essentially, and she has at least vibrated. at least one tremendous scene where she just sort of you know like experiences uh, the benefits of it. She's she's really really uh, phenomenally good. It was a very very well earned. Uh, Tony nomination for her. And she wasn't really, a, she wasn't a name at that point. She kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So after that, I anytime she was in anything, I was like Leonardo DiCaprio uh, pointing to the screen. You know, there's Marie Dizia. <laughs> yeah, tremendous, tremendous cast. We should talk about Elizabeth Olsen at long last.
2: At long last, Elizabeth Olsen. What a fucking performance like, she didn't have time to really prepare for it, which, like, I almost think helps the performance because it is very, like, instinctual. You can, like, see her as a performer kind of mining the confusion and feeling in a way that, like isn't mannered yeah in a way that i feel like it very easily could have become that and kind of sank the movie yeah um and like i'm not i'm i feel like because martha is a thorny character martha aside from what has happened to her is an asshole yeah um I feel like it's more effective to see a performer we haven't seen before than, like, say, even, like, a Jennifer Lawrence who delivered uh, Winter's Bone beforehand. If we have a preconceived notion of this woman before we meet her, it, like, kills half of the mystery of the movie. So it's, like, it's watching this performance is a real like stars aligning type of thing that like of course it's the type of breakthrough that you'd be so excited about.
1: Well um, it's also I mean you mentioned the Jennifer Lawrence of it which like Winter's Bone was unquestionably the breakthrough and it was Mm -hmm. The first time, almost anybody had seen her. But she had been in other things. And she was in... Including
2: the Burning Plane, where she plays young Charlize Theron. Right. And won the like Young Actor Prize at Venice. So it's like, people knew who... uh, Her name was familiar. But
1: this is a legitimate debut performance. She had a... She literally is credited as Girl in Car in the 1990 TV movie How the West Was Fun, which was her sister's uh, mary kate and ashley it was a it was an olsen twins movie right so she's like literally it's her mm-hmm. only credit before martha marcy may marlene now that and silent house this same premiere. sundance though so yeah. it's hard to tell how do you credit which is the debut performance i don't know which of them she filmed first obviously in terms of what gets released in the united states why like in a proper release Martha Marcy May Marlene comes out first, so that's the one right. that is, and obviously it's the one I would rather. I, she's great in Silent House. We talked about it on screen drafts when we did the F Cinema scores. I did not like that movie. You guys all seem to like it a little bit better than I did. Um, I'm not a fan. I mean, like especially
2: the like final sequence of that movie. I think derails it a little bit, um, but
1: she's great in it, and it's kind of it's an amazing yeah. kind of one-two punch to have it two things at the same Sundance that she's, you know, obviously she did she win a prize at Sundance or was that just Durkin?
2: Uh, just Durkin won for because let me look up who actually won the acting prize that year. Keep talking though while I do that.
1: Yeah. So uh the Elizabeth Olsen career from Martha Marcy Mae Marlene, because there was obviously Oscar buzz around this performance and we'll get to that. Um, I think she was on a lot of people's radar for like, you know, it's going to happen for her at some point. And then the projects following this up were not really on target. She was in the um, uh, Josh Radner movie, liberal arts, that he was the one everybody hated from How I Met Your Mother, so um, uh, nobody <laughs> was was ready to receive that. It got bad reviews, I never saw it. She's in Kill Your Darlings, which is an interesting movie that did not catch on. And she is... Um, you know a supporting performance in that obviously to radcliffe right. and dane DeHaan and and all that um she's in the terrible Acting winner this sundance
2: was felicity jones for like crazy which also got the grand prize
1: right which also speaking of jennifer lawrence jennifer lawrence is the third wheel in in that movie if i'm not like mistaken. crazy yeah <laughs> um uh poor god sad sad Anton Yelchin thoughts now uh creep into Aww. my brain even though I didn't really like like crazy very much but um I I you know it's hard not to have
2: some affection for Anton Yelchin movies especially where he's like the yeah. lead of
1: the movie Exactly uh Elizabeth Olsen is in the terrible old boy remake uh oof, that uh, oof, Spike oof, Lee directed oof. that was just uh, ill-considered, let's say. And then, the year after that, she makes her first appearance in the Marvel Universe uh, in a post credit scene in Captain America The Winter Soldier where she's Wanda Maximoff. Now, obviously I don't want to get into it too much because you hate the Marvel movies and I don't. I don't hate them. Christopher.
2: I don't hate them. There's mo- There's movies in the MCU that I enjoy. I am just exhausted.
1: Okay. Fine. I'm just exhausted. Um... I love her as Wanda. I think she's one of my favorite characters in those movies. She's sort of uh she went from being like I remember one time at my old job, I said at one point where somebody was like who are your favorite MCU characters and I was like somebody and Wanda. And they all looked at me like I had three heads and they're like Wanda cuz at that point she was I think it was she had only been in like Age of Ultron and Civil War. It hadn't like reached the like infinity war end game where she has this well, like great romance point, with vision it's
2: not a controversial
1: opinion everyone loves her now i was right listen i i am not one to hesitate <laughs> to take credit i history has proven me correct on that front no she's in age of ultron i
2: can't i can't uh i i emotionally support you in this but i can't uh i haven't watched wandavision haven't seen dr
1: that's Dream. fine the thing about What I connected to her, though, was, like, in the middle of something like Age of Ultron, which is a movie that, like, was one of the early, like, Marvel's kind of losing it that I'd stick up for. I love Age of Ultron. I think it's way, way better than people give it credit for. And she has this, like, really small, not really small, but, like, relatively small but crucial arc in it where she sort of makes the active decision to... Be a superhero essentially, and has a couple really good scenes with actually Jeremy Renner, who I know. Speaking of like people nobody want to get on board with, but I think the two of them and their weird little connection that is so like back burner, back burner, back burner, uh, and that series, I think is really, really good. And part of the reason why Multiverse of Madness irked me. I don't necessarily like, whatever. She's the bad guy in that movie. That's fine. That's the way some character arcs go. I don't need her to survive just because I love her. But I walked out of that movie and being like, and I understand the limitations of like, you can't get cast members, you know, for your movie, whatever. This is the problem with a a series with 50 some odd characters is you can't get them all, even though what you're essentially having have built is superhero General Hospital, and General Hospital has <laughs> twenty main cast characters with like twenty more recurring characters, right? And I so mean, this is
2: your connection to the MCU is that it is a soap opera, and, and I, I do love feel that like about that's it. That's how you engage, and
1: with I it. love that about it. And a lot of people love uh, uh, like those movies in spite of it, and a lot of people find the interconnectedness of it a problem whereas i'm like no that's where it's most like soap opera and that's why i love it and so part of my problem with multiverse of madness is i was like guys like wanda has friends like wanda was part of the avengers for a while wanda has like a like closeness with hawkeye and with certain other people i'm like where were all these people while she's like spiraling into madness and becoming like the biggest villain in the world. And it's only fucking Fucking fake friends. Dr. Strange. Who like barely. They're
2: fucking fake friends. Exactly. They're fake friends. Their friendship is for shit. Exactly. So, and and, the Avengers, they're bad friends.
1: And obviously that's not my problem with Sam Raimi. I think Sam Raimi directs that movie incredibly well. I also don't even think it's necessarily my problem with the movie, because I understand that it's an unrealistic thing, that within this movie that is a Doctor Strange movie, that you have to then pull in Jeremy Renner and uh, and uh, Anthony Mackey and Don Shield, Ch- you know what I mean? All these other people.
2: All those characters are in that movie?
1: No, that's what I mean. What I'm saying is... Oh. Right. my my own little heart being like where were wanda's fellow avengers to help her out in this well they weren't in it because you can't cast all those other people in that movie i understand right. that i'm not a crazy person but it is ultimately sad for me walking out of that movie and being like oh ultimately wanda wasn't the priority that i wanted her to be and that's why i think they turned her into sad lady and then what I loved about WandaVision was like, oh, she is the priority for this show. And I think that's maybe the misstep that the larger Marvel universe took with that, which was they made her so popular by WandaVision being such a popular and well done show that a lot of people really bristle. It's a problem
2: for that movie.
1: That all of a sudden you have this movie where your antagonist is so much more popular than your protagonist in a lot of circles that like a lot of people are just going to be upset about that. Whatever. That's my little Marvel corner and I'm glad that thank you for <laughs> indulging me. In it.
2: I mean, the the upside of your love for Wanda is that like she's a huge she's, star now. She is and her TV show is the only Marvel TV show that anyone gives a shit about. Like yeah, no one talks about those other shows. Well, I mean and maybe moon knight a little bit but like people really like loki people like are loki, follow people Oscar liked loki Isaac. a lot
1: but any I mean, but your your point is not it definitely is by far the most mainstream appealing of it's the one that broke out of the sort of uh you can't call marvel a niche but you know what i mean that like people who like people, weren't watching people other that marvel that watched series. that
2: show and got enthusiastic about the show there was no at least from the outside, it didn't seem like there was a sense of obligation in watching it. Yeah. Whereas all the other shows, including Loki, it seemed like people were watching it because they felt obligated to. Mm.
1: I I think that's a perception that you probably have as somebody who feels that way about those things. I Possibly. think I think there's a, there are you know plenty of people who watch those movies because they're those shows because they like them. But like I get what you're saying to a degree. Um, regardless sort of filtering out the Marvel movies and like she has in her last 10 years, mostly made Marvel movies in the last, say like eight years since winter soldier in 2014, the balance of Marvel movies versus non-Marvel movies is really uh, lopsided. And I would say
2: there's two other performances that I really want to talk about in terms of, I think she's an incredible performer. Um, The second one is Ingrid Goes West, which is a movie that I have problems with, but she, I think, is the best thing about the
1: movie. She's so good in that movie. She's so good. She's so funny. Um, My favorite thing about Ingrid Goes West is I think it's smarter about what social media is and does that it gets credit for. And I think part of the reason why a lot of people bristled against it is
2: that it was
1: too real. It was a little too real. And her character embodies that. Yes, I agree. Yes, it is.
2: About it. Like, yes. um, Yet, though, I think her performance, like, she's ostensibly the villain of the movie. She's playing this influencer who is, like, you know, taking photos of her avocado toast before now. We've decided that's not cool anymore, but, like, (laughs) is ahead of the curve. Right. 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 and it's all obviously a front. It's all obviously a straw house. But, like, again, like I was saying, Martha could be somebody who the performance ends up being mannered. Like, she could play this character in Ingrid Goes West, like, full villain. She could That's play the it, thing. like,
1: she doesn't she doesn't. She plays that character as what she is, which is the living embodiment of fomo slash um like i'll never be this person you know the villainy Mm -hmm. of her isn't in her actions it's what she represents to ingrid which is this unattainable ideal that is completely unconcerned with her you know what i mean that is ultimately like does not care about her and and the sort of the violence (laughs) inherent in that yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, <laughs> I should go
2: and rewatch that movie. What's the Try other give performance? It a better shot. Um, just general. Um, like I hate using the word content, but just content provider.
1: Like, her, oh, is she a good? Is she a good Instagrammer?
2: Uh, was she on Hot Ones and was incredible? Oh, she
1: was on Hot Ones and was incredible. Yes. She, also, her her VF
2: lie detector test like yes. she she is Yes, you're right. I think she is in the upper echelon of people who can provide mm-hmm. great like memorable psychotic videos of that of that like type.
1: Totally. I also should mention, even though I didn't watch the show, and I don't believe you did either, um, probably because it was on Facebook Watch, but she was on that show, Sorry for she Your got Loss. She
2: reviews for the show. She,
1: everybody I talked to who saw that was like, she's incredible. Kelly Marie Tran was also on that show, and Giovanna Depo. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was not very widely watched, but pretty much every single person who watched it was like, she's phenomenal. So, um interested to see where this goes she's in an upcoming hbo series the other candy montgomery show that uh that isn't the jessica beale candy um called love and death that is i believe a david e kelly production that is coming later this year and what movies does she actually have lined up um now that she's i don't think we've seen the last of her, honestly, in the MCU. I think people who are like, finally she's free of it are a little um why? Wait, did she die? Yeah. I mean more or less. Her character oh, okay. is vanquished uh, at the end of Multiverse of Madness. And there is a way to read that as being sort of the end of a thing. But like, there are any number of ways that that she can come back. Um but yeah she doesn't have any movies lined up for the future yet, but I think I think we can all agree that we are excited to see what is next for her. Whatever I think she's she incredibly talented. Do. I think she's incredibly talented.
2: Um and ultimately, I think she kind of had no
1: chance
2: in this best actress race. Um, I think at some
1: point, yes. I think at I think early on in the year I think she was on everybody's long list of possibilities because of the Sundance thing, because of the Winter's Bone memories that everybody had. And she does get notices, right? She's a nominee Mm -hmm. at Critics' Choice. She's a nominee among the Chicago film critics. She gets their most promising uh, uh, performer. She has a she gets a gotham award nomination she gets obviously an independent spirit award nomination who does she lose that to hold on one second michelle
2: williams the oscar nominee
1: right that was the thing is all of the independent spirit award winners that year jean jean dujardin for the artist Michelle Williams for My Week with Marilyn, Christopher Plummer for Beginners, and then even though she wasn't Oscar nominated, Shailene Woodley for The Descendants who was essentially sixth place in that uh, in that Oscar race. Martha Marcy
2: also lost Best First Feature at the Indie Spirits to Marching Call, which was like the indie success Oscar nomination that year.
1: Yeah, which Martha Marcy May Marlene and, is a much better movie. Then I, I mean, I don't not like Margin Call, but I think one hundred percent like, and, and throughout
2: the season too, like a lot of best like critics' best first feature prizes were going to Margin Call over this, and like this was I the stand, but like and like we're not anti J C Shandor, no, on not this at all. Podcast, we yeah. love a most violent year, but yeah. I don't remember jack shit about Margin Call.
1: This was the era of the Independent Spirit Awards, and I know you and I are a little bit on different wavelengths with the Indie Spirits, but I, this was an era where you wish you could go through the nominees with a comb and comb out all of the major Oscar contenders there, because I do still feel like I think they've gotten back to a place where they are nominating, by and large, interesting and out of the way performances and films they did a good job last year and and it's it's gotten a little bit away from the this era where so many of the nominees and most of the winners are all the big oscar contenders but you you go through this indie spirit list in 2011 and you can pick out some really Interesting ones. Take out the artists. Take out beginners. Take out the Descendants. Those are all the ones that got Oscar nominations, and you still take get, out
2: my week with Marilyn. Oh, like, for that sure, that is not yeah. an independent
1: movie. No, like no, come on. Take out Midnight in Paris. I love that they were the only ones who got Corey Stoll uh, recognition for Midnight in Paris, but like take out Midnight in Paris. Like Woody Allen movies are not indie movies in the, in any you know real context in any way that matters um i like that like woody harrelson's nominated for rampart here uh there's some nominations for take shelter even if that's not like my favorite movie but like um i like that drive even though drive is even pushing it in terms of like what's major and what's not but like nobody else was recognizing drive so i'm glad that they did um this was the year of uh the this was kind of the Brit Marling uh, breakthrough again speaking of topics where like you and I disagree <laughs> the nominations should... I haven't seen the movies I don't know this was <laughs> I just love teasing that you love her so I much. do this was the year of Another Earth which is not my favorite of the Brit Marling uh, uh oeuvre but the next year was Sound of My Voice which was the one that I really really Both fell of them for.
2: debuted at this Sundance,
1: though. Yes, that's right. Um anyway, and then Elizabeth Olsen gets nominated at the Critics' Choice Awards, which, like, for as much as I continue to shit on the Critics' Choice Awards and will continue to do so without uh, without apology, this was a year where the Critics' Choice Best Actress lineup was so much better than the Oscar lineup. It was, even, <laughs> even considering the fact that they both nominated Meryl for The Iron Lady, and, like, they couldn't get away from that. Oh, boy. But, like... Critics' Choice nominates Meryl, Michelle Williams for My Week with Marilyn, and Viola Davis, who are also got Oscar nominations. Uh, but the other ones that they added into the mix, Elizabeth Olsen for Martha Marcy, Tilda Swinton for We Need to Talk About Kevin, and Charlize Theron for A Young Adult. Which, like, two of those three should have made the Oscar lineup. Three of those yeah. three actually, because you take out either Meryl or Michelle Williams, and you've got plenty of room for.
2: I mean, all of I ultimately think Rooney Mara would be there if they had seen Maybe. "Girl with the Dragon Tattoo" at that point, because it arrived late. I'm, yeah, I'm looking through to see if that it got any. It did get an editing nomination, but like the type of thing that like. The maybe small percentage of the BFCA mm-hmm. that saw it probably all nominated that movie for editing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Whereas if it had been more widely seen, I bet that she would be there. I see, I think the same for SAG. Like, yeah, that's such a huge role. I do think that in terms of like, Breakthrough performer, lead actress like Rooney Mara stole probably any heat that Elizabeth Olsen might have had. I think that's in that probably regard. true.
1: I think that's probably true.
2: And it was such a huge movie that, like, movie about uh, rapists, perverts, and Nazis made a
1: hundred million dollars. But it did not. It still was seen as a failure, though. Right, it, it, which is uh, bizarre. I mean, because it's huge and expensive, like they wouldn't let her like, do. They did you see? Was it in? Remember how I talked about how I was browsing through the Sony emails the other day for no reason? Was it within the Sony (laughs) emails that that came out that like, or was it in a separate news story more recently? I can't remember where I read it. This thing where Rooney Mara like emailed, it must have been because it was an email to Amy Pascal, where she was like, so any word on doing another Girl with a Dragon Tattoo movie? I would I, certainly I love to do this. it. Um, she basically is essentially like, so Amy, how are you doing? I'd love to do another Girl with a Dragon Tattoo movie. Don't know if you wanna. My phone lines open if you ever were interested. I definitely want to do it. And I definitely want to do it. And goodbye. <laughs> and uh, never happens. And I, feel, I felt bad. Like, you, you know. I felt bad for her too. She kept like, a bunch of piercings. That she, she got doesn't for that seem movie. like the like, kind of person who like lays herself out on the line for anything. If you've ever seen her speak right. in any context, it feels like if she was going to take the you know initiative to proactively be like, "Hey, I'm interested in doing this," she must have really, really, really wanted it.
2: Or, I mean, she just really, really wanted an answer because you're not going to be like, hey, give me an answer. Yeah. You're going to be like, hey, I really want to do this. And yeah. if you don't get an answer, then. You
1: know. Yeah. Um, I also, before we get off of the Critics' Choice Awards, because uh, I said something nice about them. So now I have to say something mean about them. they uh, <laughs> 2011 Best Young Actor, Actress category. Um, bad. They listen. So. These are the nominees, who I think are almost all really, really worthy. Whatever. I'm not going to say anything mean about Asa Butterfield for Hugo, because I tend to think he's a good actor, and whatever. Al Fanning for Super 8, very good. Ezra Miller for We Need to Talk About Kevin. Everything else, as we said earlier, everything else you want to say about Ezra Miller, I think he was phenomenal in that. Saoirse Ronan for Hannah, a tremendous performance in a tremendous movie. Shane Lee and Woodley for The Descendants, at the very least a good performance and then they all get beat by the little kid from Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Get rid of this category. <laughs> get, rid of the, get rid of the Critics' Choice. Get Just get out of here. Get out of here, Critics' Choice. <laughs> Dicks. Um, what else did we want to talk about before we move on? Because we're kind of...
2: Uh... I, th- I think this Best Actress lineup is kind of uncrackable in terms of like Sixth place was probably Tilda. I have a hard time saying that Sixth Place was Tilda. I I think it was. Who do who else?
1: Who else would it have been?
2: I mean, I guess and Tilda gets SAG nominated, right?
1: But And Golden Globe.
2: I mean, Oscar was never gonna go for that movie, is the thing. Like that movie <gasps> is what it is. It's a Lynn Ramsey movie. I
1: could like, see it being a movie that gets one Oscar nomination and it's for the performance. You know what I mean? Like she gets in sure. on reputation, she's a former winner um there was buzz a behind lot it of uh movies
2: that we could talk about just this best actress race like we've talked about it for melancholia we i mean this is uh, margaret this is, is this the what about no this is the what about pariah year because pariah yep. is one of these movies yep um margaret young adult young adult still haven't done young adult yep
1: yep yep yeah what's my did we do this when we talked about margaret maybe um what my maybe. top five was I don't know. We don't necessarily have to go into it every time. But anyway.
2: um, It doesn't matter. My top two are Anna Paquin and Charlize Theron. They're the best performances of that decade.
1: I mean, yeah. They're both really fantastic in that. Um, I would have nominated Elizabeth Olsen. I I think for as you're you probably not wrong that that year would have been uncrackable. That field was probably uncrackable. I think it's one of my least favorite best actress lineups of my lifetime.
2: I don't like this Oscar year period. Oh, I think
1: it's a terrible Oscar year. Um
2: I mean off. this is partly why I have such like uh goodwill towards Rooney Mars. Like on top of liking that performance, like it's one of the best in the category. Like I I felt bad for Glenn Close this year which like Albert Nobbs is a bad movie and I don't like that performance but like she shows up everywhere but it was so clear that the vibe was like we're going to nominate you but you are not getting this yeah. like because the clear like the the heat in that race came down to kind of a three-way race between Meryl Streep, Viola Davis, and Michelle Williams, with, like, Michelle Williams clearly bringing up the rear there, but, yeah. like, it was always conceivable she could win for it. Yeah. Um. And, like, Glenn Close was, like, solid fourth place, was never not gonna get nominated. Like
1: That Glenn Close nomination is one of those things where it's, like, not in a million years would I have ever nominated this, but I appreciate the hustle so much that I'm kind of glad that she made it happen, just because it's, like... You know sometimes we have to make our own luck in this life and Glenn Close for Albert Knobs definitely uh, embodied that I thought. I do think we could have maybe saved ourselves a little bit of
2: heartache and headache if they had given it to her this year.
1: but that, I don't that would have been such for a, a movie crazy that's so bad thing. for a
2: performance that on top of being problematic is like not good not good
0: not good.
1: Um, here's my here's my five that year. Uh, Charlize Theron and Anna Paquin yes. Elizabeth Olson yes. I would have nominated Tilda for We Need to Talk About Kevin. And then my winner that year, Juliette Benoche for Certified Copy, one of my favorite performances. She's also in my five. Oh, Kiki boy. Dunst
2: is in my five. And then maybe Tilda rounds it
1: out. It's so, so, so good. So you don't nominate Elizabeth Olsen then. She's she's on the outside looking at it.
2: I I probably don't, but like she's fighting with Tilda. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, other
2: and none for Meryl Streep, the worst, one of the worst acting wins. Uh,
1: it's so sad. Obviously, Meryl is my, uh, is my apex. She's my number one always. But it's a bummer that this is her third Oscar. It really, it's the really thing is about
2: Albert Nobbs and Glenn Close in this category. It's like you can say that that's a terrible movie. You can say it's not a good performance. But like Meryl is worse in a worse movie. Like. Yeah. That movie's so bad. It's really bad. It is. I mean, you're not wrong. I can't believe the amount of people... I mean, like, this is what goes to show you the, like, Weinstein awards machine. Like, uh, of course, like, the thing that got Meryl her third Oscar was Weinstein, unfortunately. Yeah. It's like, she won the New York Critics Award for that fucking horror performance. I know. It's like, everybody fell for it. Like... Not not everybody. There
1: was significant pushback pretty much throughout that year for that movie and that performance. I mean, but still, people kept falling for it. Yeah. But you look. Here is the thing about that year: is any of the wins, even the win that I wanted to happen, which is Viola Davis for the help, would have been, in retrospect, a stain on the oscars and the career of the person right. who won it i think I the mean, fact that viola davis's oscar is for fences and not the help is so much better
2: and yet if her oscar is going to be for fences i still say it should have been for a i agree for fences. i agree but like i agree uh yeah. yeah and like it made a situation where it was like there is a zero percent chance that viola davis loses um yeah.
1: which like good for her yeah um
2: and viola davis can still
1: uh, win another one i believe yeah so um obviously martha marcy may marlene was not going to be a priority for fox searchlight in 2011 they had part of the reason why it got oscar the other reason two of the best two best picture contenders that year yeah yeah yeah
2: the tree of life it's weird that this is a searchlight movie but like the fact that it was especially in this era of searchlight Gave it Oscar bus yeah. because of what their trajectory was. It's an
1: interesting uh, searchlight lineup, though. It's the Tree of Life and the Descendants both get Best Picture nominations. Mm-hmm. Um, Margaret's a whole story unto itself. Shame is probably Fastbender for Shame and Tilda for We Need to Talk About Kevin are both in the same boat for me, which is probably sixth place, but how close did they actually get? Um, yeah. I think probably like. Festbender's so good in Shame, but I get why he was not nominated. Um, and they then, also
2: bought that very late because they bought it out of the fall festival season. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was originally their movie, and like they were pushing Clooney really hard for The Descendants. Yes, so
1: they were. Yeah, Clooney. You know. Clooney was was if not favored to win, was at least in the winner conversation. Pretty much throughout that year. That was kind of a three horse race between him and Dujardin and Pitt up until the end. I think even going into Oscar night, there was people being like, Who's gonna win? you know, it's it, it could be a toss up. Because there was a lot of doubt that uh they would give an Oscar to essentially somebody outside of the American movie making right. system. That like what Speaking of falling for it, the artist. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Um. Listen, how dare you? The uh, American acting career of Jean Dujardin has been a house of fire in the decades since he won that Oscar.
2: <laughs> he is funny in Wolf of Wall Street, I will say. And I don't think he's bad in the movie.
1: No, he's not I bad in the movie.
2: I just. I, I begrudge his win less than just that movie being like. So front runner status in general, yeah. But
1: I hate this Oscar year. I don't like. I, it's yeah. a bad Oscar year. We've talked about it before. We'll probably talk about it again. Um. All right. Anything else we want to bring up before we do? I oh, this was one actually thing I wanted, and I'll make this very quick because we are kind of long in the tooth in this episode. Um, Sean Durkin, around the time of, I guess this movie, uh, maybe not. Uh, did a sight and sound list of his top 10 movies of all time and it's an i looked at the list and it's an interesting list and it's what i i wanted to bring it up with you because it has i'm reading through it kind of in order and i'm like oh god this is gonna make chris hate sean Durkin because there's one movie in here that you've talked about (laughs) being like i hate that i think this is a dumb movie i hate that people are nostalgic for this movie um and then there's another movie as I kept going down the list, I'm like, "Oh, no way, Chris is gonna love him." So, um, I wanted to see if we could just like get you to like play a little quick little guessing game, and we'll like I'll give you heavy hints, so it won't take very long. um but so this is Sean Durkin's top ten movies of all time for sight and sound. Um the one that I way think you'll hate is a eighties movie that a lot of people are very nostalgic for and yet a loud contingent of people are like i never liked that movie and like here's why um um i was
2: about to say back to the future because i do not get back to the future no um
1: it's not that um it's a kids movie kids movie like a bunch of kids like the Goonies? Exactly the Goonies. It is exactly the
2: Goonies. I don't hate the Goonies. I hate the Goonies
1: culture. There is no Goonies culture. I swear to there God. There is totally Goonies there culture. There was Goonies culture. Goonies culture does not Walk exist Walk into anymore. a Target. There is Goonies culture. The only culture I ever hear about Goonies is adult human beings my age or younger being like I never liked the Goonies. I don't understand why people like the Goonies. I All don't know anybody people who likes that who movie. think
2: that the Goonies is like one of three pe- three movies in the world are annoying. But like when I watch the Goonies, I have a good time. I like the Goonies. So it's like I, I like get the people Goonies. liking it. I have no problem like, with that movie. People
1: are annoying about that movie. All right, the one that I think you're going to love him for. Is is like one of your like, I don't know. I don't know necessarily what your top three movies of all time are, but it's probably close to there.
2: I'm gonna guess it's not The Hours. No, Um is it like Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf?
1: No, it is. I will say so. Looking at his top ten, The Goonies aside, and maybe one other movie aside, it's a lot of. This movie does is the basic answer. This movie's from the the. 21st century but almost everything else is like oh. 60s and 70s big auteur's with like right. um a lot of psychological elements or like um I don't know like there's a lot of again like like psychological thrillers or just very like you can you can feel that Sean Durkin aesthetic at play in a lot of these movies. This one is from... Oh, I'm stumped. Uh, a European filmmaker with a European actress who you love more than almost... Isabella Pear. Yeah.
2: The piano teacher. Yes,
1: the piano teacher. Yes. I fucking love that movie.
2: Not even my favorite Hanukkah, but um, it tracks that Sean Durkin likes that movie.
1: So, <laughs> with the piano teacher as a rough guide, stylistically... I'm going to read you the director. So he's got one Altman movie from the 70s.
2: McCabe and Mrs. Miller.
1: No. Colder. Nashville. No. More um, esoteric than that. Oh. It's from the late Mm. 70s. Um, What
2: else? Why am I blanking? So right before Popeye
1: yeah i think so um i think that's right more esoteric than mccabe
2: i mean like mccabe is mainstream altman at this point but um it's
1: again a sort of like psychological drama uh big on actresses
2: oh three women three women three women is kind of secretly my favorite all
1: this is too. why this is why i wanted to do this okay there's one Hitchcock movie that is not an obvious choice for like a top ten list, but it's a very well known Hitchcock movie. Shadow of a doubt. No, it's like if you like grabbed a person on the street and were like named two Hitchcock movies, it would be the second one.
2: Psycho and Vertigo. No. The birds.
1: The birds. The birds. Um there's a Bertolucci movie on the list from the seventies that feels very Lastango. in line with Three women and piano teacher, maybe. Again, psychological.
2: Um, The Conformist. The
1: Conformist. Yes. Great movie. All right. There's a. The Spielberg movie on this list does not fit in stylistically with everything else, but it's a 70s Spielberg movie that rules. Jaws. Yeah. All right. Um, You're not going to get this next one from the director, but it's a. Al Pacino movie from the 70s. Serpico. No. More... Um, Dog Day Afternoon. No. Grimier.
2: Panic in Needle Park. Panic in
1: Needle Park. Yes. Um, <laughs> Go off, Sean. Yeah, okay. this is what I'm kind of saying. There's a Ingmar Bergman movie that fits very well, again, with the other movies on this list.
2: Cries and Whispers. Nope. Persona.
1: Persona. Yes. Uh, then The Piano Teacher... Um, a fairly obvious Roman Polanski movie, but like of the two very obvious Polanski movies, it's the one that feels it's the more psychological of the two of them. Repulsion. Oh, no, I was uh, I didn't even think about that one. But no, more more, Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Uh, I was thinking uh, Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby and Rosemary's Baby is the more uh, psychological of the two of them. All right. Final one. Um, a fairly a, a very mainstream Stanley Kubrick movie. Shining. Yes, The Shining. It's an interesting top ten list, I feel like. Yeah, It makes me like him. Yeah. I don't know. I really, I think he's a real uh, for somebody who's only made two movies, he's a real interesting filmmaker. We both loved The Nest a lot and I I I don't know. I'm very We'll eventually
2: do The Nest because we like
1: it a lot. We we love Carrie Coon and Jude Law in it a lot. And we'll have to talk about the 2020 of it all. The pandemic of it all. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Haven't we done a pandy movie already though?
1: Um Maybe it's that we have
2: reached we'll have to go back. At this point my brain is fried, um, podcast wise. Um we'll maybe have to go back because oh, i Oh no we're no at no 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 we- no. We did one.
1: We we do- listeners are screaming at we us. We don't have it? it it's because I'm looking at the spreadsheet and we don't even have it marked in the uh column of ones we've done from that year yet on the master list. Um it's wild mountain time ah yes the wild mountain Thyme. yes that was that was a good episode that was a great episode i love talking about that movie i loved that um that was super Um, fun not the movie insane ass movie (laughs) all right um yeah before we get into the imdb
2: game i just want to give a small mention yeah To the ugly as hell QR code posters that searchlight. Oh yeah, talk to me about this. I don't know what you're talking about. Really trying to like reach out to a young audience. Like this. This was the moment when QR codes, like, kind of uh, they were beginning to happen because people were starting to have smartphones and such. But like they did. A full ass QR code on a white background and that's the poster and it's like Martha's face they had one of John Hawks and then it's like they kind of morphed it into the same version of that but it's an M instead of a QR code and now like the, the uh, accepted uh martha marcy poster is the one that's like two merging faces like whatever
1: i never but, like, have saw saw this version of the poster until i've just now looked it oh up. really no because this
2: was the poster that i like saw it in theaters with that is obnoxious it
1: was, it's so ugly it is the original
2: covid restaurant menu um it is so stupid like qr codes in general bad yes bad 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 bad, bad. Yeah. like I'm annoyed by them at restaurants when they're still there. They feel less accessible. They feel like they're forcing me to be on my phone when it's like if I just wanna go out have a nice dinner. I always think about my
1: maybe I don't want to be on my fucking phone. I always think about my parents. My dad still clinging to his flip phone like would would just be listen, welcome to my world friend like i i I ask those questions (laughs) constantly um one of these days it's just going to disintegrate one of these days it's just going to disintegrate in his hand and then he's going to have to uh, upgrade um but anyway yeah i always feel like well (laughs) you're not going to be able to read menus anymore that's the last thing that's going to go all right uh imdb game maybe yeah, would you like to tell the listeners what the IMDb game is? Yeah, at the end of every episode, we uh, do the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice only performances, or non acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free for all of hints. That's the IMDb game. Yeah. Would you
2: like to give or guess first?
1: I'll give first. All right. So we were talking about the uh, Borderline Films trio of uh, Josh Mond and Sean Durkin and Antonio Campos, and we talked at the beginning of oh, this episode no. about The Staircase. One of the great comedic performances on television this year was given in The Staircase by one, Miss Parker Posey. Yes. She was Parker Posey saying, Riven and sucking and fucking is... <laughs> Goddamn thing.
2: it was that tati westbrook sucking dick and cock okay. except in like a southern accent
1: so um good. so yeah we've never done parker posey so let, let me have it scream three yes scream three house of yes unfortunately no even though she rules in that Damn. yeah yeah
2: which Christopher Guest do I think is in there?
1: I think it's best in show. Incorrect. All right, two strikes. Your years are...
2: I don't think years are going to help.
1: 1993, 2004, and 2006.
2: Yeah, years definitely don't help. But 93 is curious. Is that... um? When was House of Yes? House of Yes is like 95.
1: 97, I'm pretty sure.
2: Damn. Okay. Um, is it just a movie I wouldn't think of as 1993?
1: Maybe. It's a movie by a major director. Uh, it is very meaningful to me, probably not to you. Oh. I don't okay. know. You might well, bec- like this movie, but like I love this movie
2: from 1993 from a major director yeah so it's probably a small pro- oh is it um is it Dazed and Confused it's Dazed and Confused yes yeah 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 Dazed and Confused doesn't read as that early to me but
1: it's interesting yeah she's so fucking good in Dazed and Confused she's right. a monster I bet a
2: lot of the cast of Dazed and Confused it shows up on their known for too i should have uh, thought of that yeah. um
1: all right 04 and 06 I'm going to give you so. a hint that, shockingly and infuriatingly, there are no Christopher Guest movies on this list. I mean, the thing
2: about Parker Posey in those movies is, like, her t- like her highest billing in any of them is probably Guffman. And she's, and, like, like,
1: fourth or fifth billed probably in that movie.
2: Right. And Guffman is, like, kind of underserved on yeah. the IMTV game. Yeah. Um, which is why I guess Best in Show, because it's been on other people's. Um,
1: well, plus that's the one with, like, she, she's the most prominent in that of the oh three of them. my
2: god. Oh my god. This is bullshit. Is 2006 Superman Returns... It sure is. Fuck off. Um, yep. Okay, so that means 04. It's gonna be a year
1: after A Mighty Wind. Um. I will say... Allow Superman Returns to be your guide for this next movie. Because it's a franchise movie. Is it an X-Men movie? No. She's in an X-Men movie, right?
2: No? No. Um, But it's a franchise. Yes. And it's like an action franchise. Yes. What the fuck is this? She shows up for like two scenes and something absurd. I don't know if it's that
1: small of a role. It's the third movie... Of thus far three, although it is currently being revived, I think as a movie. Oh
2: my god! All of these, all of Parker Posey's are like franchises. Yeah. Okay. Um, the third of a movie about to be revived. Uh, the third of a franchise about to be revived as a movie action franchise. So it would have ended with this. Is this like a critically reviled third entry?
1: No, I don't think so. I, it's not the most critically beloved of the entries, but I do believe it was like a. I think it made the most money, maybe of the three. Maybe interesting not. that they stopped. There. Yeah, so maybe that's not the case. Um, I remember this being like fairly well received, though. Okay, this was a an installment where it added an actor to it. Who felt like they were maybe going to try and siphon uh, it off onto this person? Right. Although it would have made and it's no not sense. Not Indiana
2: Jones, but that's an example
1: of that. I mean, the franchise is named after the main character, so there's no way they were going to be able to siphon it off onto somebody else. Actually, so I don't understand. Oh, okay. Oh my god, what
2: is it then? I think she oh. plays
1: the ba- uh, either the bad guy or one of the bad guys, giving. Superman Returns. It's action, Um, but it's also another genre mixed in. It's action comedy, right? Nope. Nope.
2: Nope. Action horror? Yep. It's not The Mummy. The third Mummy came out late. Nope. Action horror. It's not Van Helsing because they only made the one girl. The second Um, installment
1: of this trilogy was directed by somebody who would later go on to win an Oscar and Best Picture. Oh, it's Hellboy three. It's not Hellboy.
2: Damn it. Um, well, no, he did. He did multiple. It's Blade three. Blade Trinity. Yes, it is Blade. No, Blade Trinity was not well received because it wasn't. Wesley Snipes like barely speaks in the movie because he showed up on like when he would show up on set. Apparently, he refused to say his lines.
1: I feel like I remember so like a
2: performance of like seventy five percent reaction shots. <laughs> Hold
1: on a second, let me look and see. I forgot
2: she's in Blade Trinity.
1: Yeah, she's, um, I think she's, like, the main bad guy vampire.
2: Right, but they thought that they were going to spin it off with Ryan Reynolds and
1: Jessica Beale. Okay, alright, so... It made a little bit less than Blade 2, but more than Blade 1. Oh my god, it's a 25% Rotten Tomatoes. I was totally wrong in remembering this movie.
2: <laughs> I think it was because... There's some stuff that's fun about it, but like I like the Blade movies. I actually I feel like Blade is the... Is never going
1: to happen. I feel like people they really like
2: Mahershala liked, Ali for that yeah. years ago.
1: Granted, the oh, but Oh, but I think it's like in production now. I think it's like because really? he was. Yes, because I believe. I'm going to look this up. I believe Mahershala's voice is in the post credit Stinger for Eternals.
2: Mm. So I think it's like. That would at least say that they are serious about making it.
1: No, it's but I think it's like in production. Hold on a second. Pre production. Yeah. Okay. I think it's. I mean. I think it's. It's on the way. Anyway. Um. I think what I re- was remembering about Blade Trinity was I think people liked Ryan Reynolds in it. I remember that being like a like a boon to his career. That that was a movie that was like Ryan Reynolds got super like ripped because he was like Van Wilder before that, and then he got like super ripped for the Amityville Horror remake and Blade Trinity, and then people were like, oh well, now he can be like in the x-men you know what i mean like then they cast my least favorite actors oh absolutely um but that was i believe that was the narrative there anyway sorry i totally misremembered the reception (laughs) for blade (laughs) trinity that's okay um
2: i totally misremembered that she was even in
1: it wait natasha Um, leone is in blade trinity and triple h from the wwe i totally that movie's kind of did i ever see this movie like Um, i thought i did maybe i never saw it i thought i did All right, anyway.
2: Okay, so for you, we've talked a lot about Winter's Bone on this episode and the uh, impact it had in the reception for this movie. Uh, So for you, I went in, surprisingly, we apparently haven't done her, Jennifer Lawrence. Or as this year's Best Actor winner pronounced her in the very next year, Jennifer Lawrence.
1: (laughs) All right. Um it's wild that this was like the year in between her first Oscar nomination and her win. You know what I mean? Uh 2011. Um, all right. Jennifer Lawrence, silver linings playbook. Correct. American hustle. Correct. I want to guess joy, but I don't think it's joy. Um, the question is where, how does, how do, how do we X-Men? How do we, how do we X-Men slash hunger games? this? Oh, Because I, in the past, when Hunger Games has shown up, it has not been the first Hunger Games. I think because Catching Fire made so much more money. Isn't that like the, the highest earner of the four? I believe that's true. It's also the best of the four. I'm going to say Hunger Games Catching Fire. Incorrect. Damn it. I'm going to say... X-Men Days of Future Past.
2: Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm giving you your years. 2011, the year we're talking about in 2012.
1: Is 11 X-Men First Class? It is. Okay.
2: Secret, like, heavy hitter
1: in the IMDb yeah. game, X-Men First Class. I I got too cute. I got too cute with Days of Future Past. What's the other one? 2012. 2012 is... The first right Hunger there. Games was the first yes. Hunger Games. Okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I got too cute.
2: I I chose this because X Men First Class is on there, and I was like, really for her, and then I was like, no, X Men First Class shows up for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. X Men First, thing first thing Class is good. I, think, I like that one.
2: Um, that's like the only X Men movie I like. Um, get out of here. Thing I think you are you got caught up on catching fire about is that catching fire shows up for a lot of people who are not in the first one
1: mm, okay all right catching Didn't fire is you good like lynn cohen once <laughs>
2: <laughs> you would oh, have to peace, lynn cohen god that feels
1: like something that you would do Lynn. Cohen. i would do that all right good episode
2: yeah, good episode, um, which is now over. If you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this at Oscar com. You can also follow our Twitter at hat underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, um, tell our teachers and leaders where <laughs> they can find more of you.
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter and letterboxed at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And I
2: am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So tell us that we are teachers and leaders, and you belong to the cult of Gary with a nice review. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Yay! i